This week, Apple is maliciously complying, Microsoft is laying off eSports, Google is clearing the cash, and UMG is silencing TikTok. It's Sunday, February 4th, 2024, and this is episode 661 of F5 Live Refreshing Technology, a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, X, or Instagram, through our live streaming services, livestream.com, Twitch, Kick, or YouTube, where you can join the community and get ad-free episodes of F5 Live and Pilch Point, plus interviews as they're edited, or on our website, pluckitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are two ways that you can do that. Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can go to f5live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us in the studio. Give us your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. If you're not able to join us live, that's okay. You can always go to pluckitslive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, Pilch Point, Pluckets Live Presents, and a whole lot more. And of course, you'll find all the ways to watch, listen, and follow along. We are back, Avram. It is good to be back. Um, we saw each other a couple weeks ago during CES, uh, but we haven't been on the air together in a while. It's good to be back. Yeah. Oh, it's great to be back. I'm so glad to be back. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, um, I'm sorry we didn't get to spend more time though at, at CES. How has, uh, how has it been after CES? It's Did been... you get sick like everybody else? No. I got nothing this year. I came home. So on day four uh, on air, my nose was running um, to the to the point where every time the camera cut away from me, I, was, I had a Kleenex, right? Uh, <laughs> but that is the extent. And that was just dry air. I didn't actually get sick. At all. Um, first time in years at CES I've come home and not been wiped out. Right. The fact that I didn't get more than 100 feet away from the booth may have helped. <laughs> but, yeah, first time. I'm guessing you got sick. Yep. No, actually, I didn't. Oh, good. Uh, I didn't get sick either. Everybody I was with got sick. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But I, I, I didn't get sick. So, uh, for fortunate for me. But yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, it was it was great to go. I was so excited to go. I had a yeah. wonderful trip. Uh, too short, you know. But I had a wonderful trip. Uh, I got to meet and I got to see a lot of great people in person. I also got to meet Evan Upton, the CEO of Raspberry Pi in person, which I hadn't done before, uh, which is neat. Uh, Mm -hmm. He and I had lunch on uh, Thursday, that Thursday. So uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a cool event. Um, You know, it was great to go. Now I'm looking forward to going to Computex at the uh, end of May 
which you should go to. I know there's there's some issues, but yes, I definitely Computex is on my on my short list of uh, of shows to do. You've always talked talked it up. I it's definitely on my short yeah. list. Yeah, I mean, it's really uh, it's really great to go there. And, of course, for me, it's been like four years, five years. 2019 was the last time I went to Computex. So yeah, if I wow. go this year, it'll be five, have been five years. Wow, time flies. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, uh, so, yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that again. And, uh, you know, but it was a interesting show. I mean, I think it wasn't, you know, obviously everybody wanted to talk about AI stuff, but yeah. honestly, there was, uh, it was as usual, more hype than, than serious, sure. um, except for companies like Intel touting their ability of their chips to do AI stuff, but, eh, you know. Everything has its hype, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, we had on the broadcast, we had a really... What was the name of the company? Brain Chip. Um, hmm. We had a company that they make... Um, they make silicon for AI. They have for a while. Um, they're currently on the second generation of their hardware. Um and it it sounded like it was like a unique take on it. Um, I think that interview is scheduled for publication tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, but it was really. Let me see if I'm correct on that. Number thirty. Yeah, I think it might be scheduled for tomorrow or the day after. Um, re- really interesting. Um, it was it's like future looking hardware which is a fascinating concept they compared themselves both price wise and power wise to nvidia i just don't remember what the comparison was we did i don't know if if you've heard this some of the audience has seen me talk about it um during the during the show uh we did 121 live interviews this year <laughs> in wow days. So, wow. Well, some, you know, some of it things learns. really, <laughs> things really, ch- I have to say things really changed. Um, I say things kind of changed for, um, for me, uh, because we don't do really like, it hasn't been a, uh, sort of a corporate focus for us to do video. Uh, so, we don't have a video like some of our uh, colleagues at like Tom's Guide. They have videographers and stuff, but we mm-hmm. don't. And so when we have a very limited number of people there, we're not going and shooting videos. And so it it makes it in a way uh, less intense. But on the other hand, like when we shot video, we had all this material uh, to send to someone or to upload or whatever. And now it's been sort of like, oh, okay well, we better rush to get this stuff like to write an article and, and get the photos up and so on. And, and we did, you know, so I think it worked out okay uh, for, for us. I mean, I, there's some things I do wish we had video of, cause there are some things that are more 
I don't know, video friendly than like good to see on video than others. Yeah. Like, you know, for a keyboard, you probably never need to see it on video, but right. uh, for a lot of the components that we look at, you probably never need to see it on video. But like, you know, there, uh, when my colleague uh, Sarah was using like this $20,000 racing chair to play a racing sim, that might've been like a good thing to get to do a video on. Yeah. So, um, so I could see, uh, you know, I could see, uh, the, the need for it, but, um, yeah, was, uh, was a nice, uh, nice trip. Uh, excited to, to go excited to, to, to go on another trip soon. It was definitely good to have you back, bud. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good to be back. Really good to really good to be back. So definitely missed you. Um, <sighs> on on that topic, um, like I said, there's still a lot of content uh, coming. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't coming till quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. So um, so we release them three a day until we're done. So definitely, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, Plugitslive.com/slash/ces if you're on our uh, YouTube page uh the contents there as well uh and if you're a member on youtube um you get them as they are edited not as they're published so you actually get all the the interviews long ahead of everybody else so uh, a nice way to uh (laughs) to help us out and also uh get content faster so definitely Mm -hmm. consider that i think it's like five bucks or something like that so anyway um we got a lot of stuff to get to. It's been a kind of wild week and a half. So I think it's time to get down to it. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live Refreshing Technology is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new laptop, tablet, Xbox, games, or a whole lot more, you can get them at the Microsoft Store. Remember, current students, faculty, parents, and active military can save up to 10% off almost everything. To browse the products and learn more about the discounts, you can go to f5live.tv Microsoft. The battle between Apple and the European European Union has um, been an interesting one and a fairly consistent one. It seems like every time we turn around, um, the EU is doing something to swipe at Apple, and Apple's figuring out how to swipe right back at them. Um, you know, recently the iPhone 15 came out, big deal. Um, 15, yeah. Uh, it's got USB-C instead of a lightning connection. That's because of the EU. Um, they mandated universal chargers. And so Apple begrudgingly complied. Uh, they had some ideas on limiting the scope. If you plugged in with not one of their chargers, it would charge slower or whatever. And the EU said, nope, that's not going to work. So they just went normal like everybody else. Um, the most recent... Uh, battleground for these two has been the most recent update to the Digital Markets Act, 
Um, the last update was passed, I think, at the end of 2022. Um, and what it did was targeted what they're referring to as gatekeepers. If you've been watching to or watching or listening to this show for an extended period of time, you have heard Avram and I refer to it as a walled garden. Um, but gatekeepers would be companies that shut consumers out from being able to access certain services, certain core services outside of their own. So, in the case of Apple, we're talking the App Store. Now, this is a separate, but probably uh, instigated by, separate situation from the Epic Games lawsuit against both Google and Apple, uh, who have fought uh, over whether or not you should be able to publish an app to the iPhone or Android device and not use that company's payment system. Apple and Google both say if you try to use something else, uh, as the, well, Apple in particular, as the primary, um, then you're out. Um, and so that almost certainly instigated this. And so now the EU says you have to be able to install external app stores and developers have to be able to use external payment methods. Now... On the surface, that sounds like it would be a big win for consumers and developers alike. Everybody should be happy, except Apple. And when Apple gets backed into a corner, they definitely turn into a scared dog and start biting. So, what did they do in this case? They uh, implemented policies that definitely benefit them, even with the law. So... If you publish through another app store for iOS or any of its, you know, subversions, iPad OS, TV OS, you know, whatever. If you publish through a independent third-party app store, you have to pay a half pound per user per year to Apple. And if you use a payment system that's not Apple's, you have to pay another half pound per user per year. So, imagine that uh, you are a game. Let's say, I don't know, a little game like Fortnite. And you've got millions <laughs> of users. A little game. Yeah, right? You've got Fortnite. millions of users. And... Apple won't let you in the app store at all, so your only choice is dis is to distribute third party. And your whole goal has been to use a third party payment system. You have to pay one pound per user per year for the privilege to not use their infrastructure. Everybody's upset. <laughs> everybody Ugh. has had something to say about this um we got some of my favorites here eric sweeney from epic games um what what did he call it uh a horror show and hot garbage <laughs> um 
Xbox president Sarah Bond, who, by the way, might have the best username um, on mm-hmm. X. It's Bond, Sarah Bond. Uh, uh, she said, we believe constructive conversations drive change and progress toward open platforms. Apple's new policy is a step in the wrong direction. We hope they listen to feedback on their proposed plan and work toward a more inclusive future for all. Her comment was in response to um, uh, Daniel Eck, the CEO and founder of Spotify, who said, after sitting with our legal team, not a great start, uh, after sitting with our legal team to parse through the fine print of Apple's DMA announcement, that took a while, which is, at best, vague and misleading, I wanted to share my thoughts. While Apple has behaved badly for years, what they did yesterday represents a new low even for them. Oof. So, so every everybody's unhappy about this, including the EU, by the way, who has said, we will be watching the developments on this and taking appropriate action if necessary. I don't think these rules are going into place, Abram. I, I definitely have a feeling. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to skirt that. They're trying to skirt around it, aren't they? I mean, yeah. I think that's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear that they're just trying to skirt around it, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Yeah, not not I mean, at all. Th- this is the company who said when they implemented USB-C on the iPhone that they were considering. Well, they didn't say, but there were internal developments and talks saying if you use not an Apple branded USB-C cable will charge it slower. Well, you know what? That actually they're not the only ones who've done that. Uh yeah. I believe HP did that for a while. So, I'm not uh-huh. going to completely uh, you know, but, I'm not going to completely damn them for for do- I mean, it's bad HP, when anyone does it, but HP did it before the law went into effect. So, that uh, that was a difference. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, because and they all have their reasoning, right? I remember when HP did, well, we don't know that other people's USB-C stuff is safe. I remember hearing. Yeah, sure. Sure thing. We don't know if it's safe. So, whatever so you, know, you say. Here, here's the thing. Chi, the wireless charging group right the wireless power consortium um she says the same thing however the way they solve it is by having a certification process you can make it it'll work everything will behave exactly as the designer intends it to if it's not certified but if it is certified you know that it is properly functioning and has been t- tested across a wide range of devices independently tested they yeah didn't i mean, try and well, slow down your charging they just said it could be a bad idea not necessarily it could be a bad idea um but a certified one you know it'll work you know that it's going to be safe i think that was a smart way of going yeah i mean look I mean, especially every time I go to CES, one group that I always meet with is the USB Implementer Forum, and mm-hmm. that is their whole job is to mm-hmm. is to 
is to do certifications of cables and certifications of chargers. And obviously most companies don't pay for it, uh, don't pay for the certification, but you know, they can, that's what they're there to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, if, if you want that confidence and peace of mind, you go with the certification, but I mean, yeah. To to step down the capabilities at the device level because you don't know the cable, that's I mean that's crazy. Yeah. Especially especially after the law went into place, right? And you know uh, the the EU. I can't remember who it was. The industry chief Terry T H I E R R Y theory Terry. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Breton. Uh, basically said um, this follows the letter of the law but not the spirit of the law. <laughs> so yep. we're going to see how this goes. Um, de- definitely an interesting move. I think it was a bad move. It it People already have their weird suspicions about Apple and anytime... You can do something. They can do something to confirm it. <laughs> it seems like a mistake. You should just try not to confirm people's um, negative beliefs about you. Is probably the best thing I can say. Yep. We'll see. The important thing to note here is this only applies to countries within the EU. Um, if you're in the UK or anywhere else outside the EU, this feature is not coming for you. So, you know, write your uh, write your Congress people and tell them we want our own version of DMA. If uh, if you want this uh, here in the states or in your country. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. The best way to protect your privacy online is with PureVPN. You can hide your online activities, say goodbye to regional restrictions, and improve your streaming quality. Plus, it's available for almost all of your devices. You can get a special price and a 31-day money-back guarantee right now by going to pilchpoint.live purevpn. Right. It's been it's been a little while <laughs> since we've had a pilch point. Uh, yeah. What what have you been working on? So so I wanted to so I've been spending a lot of time the last week or two trying to find new ways to program things to be efficient. I do this all the time, but I don't know. It was my birthday a couple of weeks ago and I found it depressing as I always did. So do. So I was like, oh, what can I do to like program something that people will. Uh, appreciate. So I programmed some things for folks at work. And while I was working on that, I was looking at uh, how I can do more with macros. And I may have talked about this years ago, but I but there's a new version. There's a tool called, well, there's, there's two things I want to talk about to help you. First of all, I'm a firm believer that anytime you can avoid using this, your mouse, and use your keyboard instead you're you're saving time you're saving your shoulder and your wrist or whatever 
for from the strain of having a lunge over with your mouse, right? So if you can and if you can do something where you hit one key uh, and it does something that would have required you to roll your mouse over and click, or to roll your mouse over and click and drag multiple times, wow, that's you know a lot of savings. So um, what? So the first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, your numpad. Uh, do you use the numpad on your keyboard? Do you have a numpad on your keyboard? I have a numpad. I use the numpad all the time. In fact, at Strike, we have a couple of computers that don't have it. And like when I go to log in, I smack the desk because I keep expecting the number pad <laughs> to be there. <laughs> I, what so, do you use it for? Um, I use it a lot when when doing database work i use it a lot when programming uh and i use it a lot when logging into things my hand just instinctively so, goes to the number pad so you know i'm gonna be honest with myself and say that i don't like really use the number pad for numbers that much i didn't have much of a use i mean like and i do programming too and all that stuff but i just find myself reaching up to the top to, to use the number row. Uh, sure. Granted, back in the day when I was a cashier, uh, I had the fastest <laughs> hands in the West, and I would sure. be like typing in the SKU number. You know, I had it all memorized, uh, muscle memory. But uh, so we know a lot of people now don't even have a numpad on their keyboard. If you have a, a, a laptop, there's a really good chance that you don't have one unless you've got a really big laptop. Uh, but let's say that you do. Well, you could actually be making if you if you're not like Scott and you don't use it for numbers and you're thinking, what is this good for? Um, you can remap the keys to do other stuff. So one thing that you can do, and this would apply across the board. So if there's other keys that you wish to remap, uh, that's okay too. Uh, there's a program called Sharp Keys. I'm going to show you here. Um, it's a little bit. Uh, on my screen, that's a little hard to see because it's like zoomed out. Uh, but what it does is it allows you to take any key on your keyboard and map it to become another key. So and so for so what I have done is I have remapped my four, five, and six on my number pads so that they are media keys uh, back forward and play pause and the plus and minus on the number of pads so that they're volume keys. Um, uh, and I have, and also uh, the keyboard that I have doesn't have a print screen button, but it does have an insert button. I don't know about you, but I don't need the insert button ever because it's always on insert. Well, I don't want to turn toggle that off. Uh, so I changed insert to be print screen, uh, and and you can do that. So uh, this is a nice free program called Sharp Keys that lets you do that. And then when you're done, you know you just click to add the key. You pick the key that you want, or you pick or type the key that you want it to go from. Pick or type the key you want it to go to. You hit OK. Then you hit Write to Registry. When you're done, you close this and you reboot. And you never and you don't need to open Sharp Keys again because actually. It's all it's doing is writing a key to your registry to do this, so it doesn't have to be running all the time. Uh, I mean, you could go to your registry and do it, but it makes it a lot easier for you. Now, 
that's just remapping one key to another, but it's not macros. So let's talk macros for a second. Um, I, I love auto hotkey. Uh, let me show you. So auto hotkey, it is a free open source, uh, is a free open source scripting language, right? And what you do, oh, this is the documentation. What you do is you go, you can download this, it runs, uh, and then you can use uh, any text editor of your choice, uh, or they have one that is made specifically for this, for uh, for writing scripts. And then with this, so let me show you, and then you can run the scripts, and what you can do is, the best thing is, you just put one in your Windows startup folder, and then it will always be running when Windows starts. Here's a script I've been working on right now. So this is uh, my favorite program of all time that I use for all my editing, which is Notepad++. Uh, I know some people use more complicated stuff, but it's my favorite it. program on Windows. I have it open on my computer right now. Uh, I mean, I just use this all the time, all day, every day. To be honest, I still haven't seen a reason why other stuff, like 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 why even using professional quote unquote IDEs is better because this is just nice, easy, and so you can um, you can get an autocomplete and syntax highlight for auto hotkey language and and install it, and so I did. So. Anyway, so what are some of these things that I'm having it do? Uh, so first of all, let's talk about the things, kinds of things you can do with it. Um, so one, I wrote a function called WinChange. And what WinChange does is it, it not only does it uh, launch an app, but it'll go straight to, the fo to focus on that app. So let's say, for example, Slack, right? Um, so I'm going to hit the key the key for Slack, which was two on my numpad, right? And oh, you're not going to see it because on another monitor. Uh, but what it did was it went to drag this over here. It went to Slack. So like here, I'm going to minimize this. I'm going to hit the two button, and you see it opens it up again. If Slack were were it, I didn't close it. I minimized it. So. What it does is it brings the window focus to the window that you want, right? Uh, and if Slack was not open, and I just closed it, it would it would launch it, right? So it either focuses on it or launches it depending on whether it's open or or not, right? Um, so that's one thing that I programmers do. Another is uh, to go to, but you know, a lot of the apps that we use are actually Chrome tabs, right? Like. We don't need, um, you know, we don't, you know, a lot of things that we rely on are, are in the same app. They're in Chrome. So what do you do there? So I programmed a, a function called Chrome tab that will do that will do this for you. So uh, so I assign one to my mail inbox and, and one to the plugins upstream. So for plugins upstream, I assign numpad nine. Watch what happens. So here you see I have Chrome open, but it's not on the the correct tab on the tab that i want i'm going to hit numpad nine and it's going to not do what i said because i'm showing it to you uh maybe am i running it let's see okay so what it should be doing and it's not because i'm showing it to you do i have my numlock on or off is that it um 
is it should be going straight there. Here, wait, I'll, I'll try the one for my inbox. See if that works. No, why not? Well, because I'm showing it to you, of course. But <laughs> it's the curse of the demo. But, you know, what it's supposed to do here is actually take you, go into, what it does do is it goes into Chrome. It will do the search for whatever I said. So like the, so like the upstream and then click the first result, right? Um, that's, that's what it, that's what it does. That's um, fascinating. So now because I'm showing it to you, of course, it's not doing what I said, but, um, other things that it will, other things it will do is it will, um, I can assign the right control key to do different things than the left control key. So for example, you know, in most things, control N is create a new one of something, but, but I don't know about you, but I don't use the right control button that much. So if you assign the right control button, I can assign the right control button to open notepad plus plus or take me to it. Let's see if that worked. Oh, that did work. Look at that. See, I hit control N and it changed it to notepad plus plus. Uh, now, similarly, but if uh, you had used, if you had used the left control, it would have opened a new tab in Chrome or whatever I'm in. Right. Because so, that's what you, you know, because that's what you were focused is, on. You were focused on Chrome right, at the yes. time. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yes. Cool. Yes. Yes. So you see, I'm focused on Chrome, but it just changed it to, to that. It just changed the focus to, to this, right? Very similarly, cool. similarly, like I, I have to use the pounds, the pound sterling symbol at my job a lot. Uh, cause we work for a UK company and, uh, and so I assign control four to be the pound symbol, right? Um, cause you know, we know that shift four is the dollar symbol, uh, but I can sign right control four. Why right control four? Cause left control four does other, does other stuff. Right. Um, and once you do this, it kind of, uh, eliminates the original use case of it. Um, but you can also program these things to actually like do something that, so here that will in a specific program, it's in a specific program. So for example, here's another script I have, and it looks to see if the notepad exe window is active. And if so, um, it will, um, if so, it will do this task. So this is for regular notepad and this is just a de demo because nobody really wants to do this in real life. But, um, so you see here, there's a status bar. Let's see if now, of course, watches won't do it. So, oh, you see that the status bar went away, came, went, came, went. What's actually happening really fast is that it is hitting control alt V down and enter. Well, alt V, if you know your keyboard shortcuts and windows, if you have a um, menu up here, which most programs do, and you hit Alt and a letter, it'll open that letter, right? So Alt V. Then I said hit down, right, and enter. See? So Alt V, down, enter, right? But it's doing it so fast that you can't see that it actually happened, right? But the idea is 
let's say there's something on one of these menus that you want to make a hotkey for and there's no hotkey for it. Well, this will do that. For example, uh, I like to use Photoshop Elements and it has no hotkey for crop. Really annoying because I'm always highlighting stuff and I want to crop it. I don't want to roll my mouse over to the crop menu and, and do this. So I programmed something where it will just hit the hit the right key combination to do it through through the keyboard and it does it so fast that you don't even see the menus opening um so uh another thing you can do obviously is repetitive text like your address so like here uh here i've programmed this is for if the numpad numpad up means if the if numlock is off and you'll see that it put in an address right they just sent this text. So um, so you can see there's a lot that you can do with auto hotkey uh, to kind of program it to do things that only menus could do, to do things that are faster, to kind of change your window focus, not just launch new apps, um, and to kind of do things specifically within an app. So like this one here with the, the um, numpad page up it only runs that if i'm in notepad if i'm in another program and i hit that key i could have it do something else or nothing at all or not have it do it at all but um anyway uh i have a story up on right now about how to remap your numpad and do a lot of this stuff on the home page of tom's hardware uh and I definitely recommend folks, uh, and I'll be doing some more stories about auto hotkey, although I know not a lot of people kind of, not everybody <laughs> reads them, but uh, I also recommend folks go to autohotkey.com, uh, download the software, read the documentation. Uh, there's version 1.1 has been deprecated. So follow the version 2.0 coding instructions, which have different syntax. Um, anyway, uh, what do you think, Scott? Is that stuff that you could that you could make use out of? Yes. So I'm instantly curious about a couple of things. Like, can I uh, can I target a, a pinned WPA? Um, you know, things like that. Um, so as you're talking, I'm like, oh, okay. I wonder if I can do this with it. I wonder if I can do that with it. Can I? Can I target the buttons on a stream deck with it? Because, you know, uh, capabilities so, here are significantly wider than so, those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to look and see. They have shortcuts for a bunch of things. Um, you also, I think, can actually, I think there's like a bit code or whatever that every key has. So you could theoretically just use the bit code to assign something to it. So if you know... Okay what the bit code is. Um, I mean, I actually would love to figure out, I don't have anything with the new copilot key. Do you? Mm -hmm. No. Yes or no? Because um, no, I'd yet. love to know what the bit code is for that. Then I would do a story on how to reassign your copilot key or how to turn something else into your copilot key. Uh, um, not that I think anyone needs a copilot key, but... Um, but you know that's a key on the keyboard, so yes, you can do uh, stuff. You can do things things like that, um, and it's it's very specific. Uh, obviously, like 
it, it will target the numpad number one is a different target than number one on the number row. And the num you can target the number pad with numlock on or numlock off as different, you know, different mappings, right? Um, so, and like I said, you can do, you can assign something specifically to the right controller, right alt, uh, different than the left controller, left alt. And I was surveying, I don't know about you, I was thinking about this myself and surveying my colleagues, and I found that almost nobody ever uses the right controller, right alt keys. Oh, yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, I, <laughs> so much so that earlier when I was in Premiere, I have to control M and I'm literally, I'm doing it from the left side as I'm just talking <laughs> control M to export the media. And I realized, Oh, I could do it one handed. If I did it from the right, I, I do it all the time, Avram. And it took me until this afternoon to realize, Oh, right. There's a control on the right. I can do it one handed. <laughs> Right. So that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like people are not using it. And I, you know, I had to check myself because obviously it's kind of unconscious, but I don't think I ever use them. Uh, and so, like, you could assign them to do something else, to be a different modifier, uh, which which we need because, unfortunately, a lot of the existing a lot of the existing possible keyboard shortcuts are taken. Right. Like you're in a document, you're like, oh man, I really wish I could assign control, you know, T to do something, but it's new tab or whatever. Or I mm -hmm. wish I could assign, I mean, especially if you want to do something that's across the operating system, um, then you have to be conscientious of, is this a keyboard shortcut in any application where I'm going to override it or lose it or whatever. Right. The one thing that auto hotkey does not seem to be able to do to my satisfaction um, so far is it. So you saw how I had it do the tab thing, right? And how I had it do the tab thing was I have it actually open, uh, hit control shift a, which in Chrome opens the tab search menu and then search and then click the first result, right? But that's, a little annoying because what I'd like it to be able to do is to be able to toggle all the tabs that have that. So let's say you had uh, Google Docs, right? And like, that's a big thing for me is losing my Google Docs tab, right? So if you, you could assign it to find Google Docs, but it will only go to the, whatever the first result is, I can't easily make it so that like, if you hit it three times, you go to the third one, you know what I mean? Like, I want it to be kind of like alt tab where you, if you hit it yeah. three times, three times you go to the third one that matches that description. So if you've got a whole bunch of, let's say tabs that are Google dot that have Google docs open in them, you can just hit the button till you get to the, until you get to it. Um, I have not found a good way to do that. What I can do to do that. And I may very well do to do that is to make a Chrome extension that does it. But then you'd have to be in Chrome first to actually use it. Mm -hmm. But um, but assuming that you were in a Chrome window, like I've done this already for my job where I have a, a key where 
like for our CMS, um, you hit uh, like you hit a, I think it's control. Is it, I forget what did I assigned to a control V, not control V, control T maybe um, to switch tabs, which actually should open a new tab. But anyway, uh, it switches you like it'll switch you it'll toggle you to the latest cms tab that you had open and then if you hit it again it goes to the the previous one it actually recalls how long it's been since you visited each tab so it does does it in kind of reverse order of like the soonest the most recent one that you've that you visited um but you know if you hit if you have three cms tabs open and you hit it three times you'll get on, onto the third one um so um i could using uh chrome's api i definitely could do that but using auto hotkey which runs at the operating system level it 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 can't do that in your browser it can only and it can't unfortunately read the text of the um tabs it can read the title bar text of the window but it can't read the text of the tabs so unless the tab is the focus tab of that window it won't find it the only way to find it is the only way i had to do it was to have it do it like a person would and hit Control shift a and search for it right so sure. and then if it doesn't find it it actually opens a new tab and puts that url in and, and opens it but um but anyway so it is effectively an, an invisible hand that does what you might do but for you an invisible hand yeah that's a so i um have long had keyboards with extra keys on them um especially for programming and i have done this with with the macro keys on like logitech keyboards for years for uh menus in particular like you showed off the the status bar um, for, yeah. for menu options that didn't have hotkeys in visual studio to the point where, um, visual studio has started doing like these double key shortcuts. So basically everything has one now because so many people were right. specifically buying Logitech G series keyboards with all the orange keys on the left or across the top or whatever. Um, because there mm -hmm. were so many things that we wanted to have happen. Um, like right. clean, like yeah. clean and rebuild. Clean and rebuild for years didn't have um, so ridiculous. Uh, keyboard so. shortcuts. So we would make them. We'd map them ourselves, you know, doing alt, b, whatever. So, and then macro that onto a onto a keyboard onto an M key. I'm trying to find in my drawer here, which I don't think I have it like right at hand, unfortunately. Um, I need to set this up, but it's just not the same height as my keyboard, so that's annoying. Is I have a a um, Adafruit? I think I've shown this on the show a while ago. Uh, RP twenty forty macro keyboard, um, and that has um, like basically it's it has I think nine keys uh, and. You can attach you can attach it to USB, and if you program it, like basically it doesn't do anything unless you program it because you have to program it in Python. But you can program it in Python to make those keys any keys you want. 
So what I do is I program them to be keys F uh, 13 through 24. Yeah. Uh, there's only nine of them. Maybe it's F 13 through 22. But, you know, they, for those who don't know, Windows recognizes function keys up to function key 24 because there used to be, an, uh, I mean, you could still buy one somewhere, uh, keyboards that had a second uh, 24 function keys. Uh, old terminal keyboards, right? And I kind of want one because I want those extra keys. So what you could do is you could make those keys be seen as other function keys, and then you could go into auto hotkey, and then you could program program them there. Whereas if you if you just have them seen as like number keys or whatever, then they're going then it's not going to do you a lot of good because they're going to be seen as the same number keys as your number pad. Um, now there's a lot of companies. You mentioned the Steam Deck, which is cool. There's a lot of companies out there that are making like numeric keypads and programmable numeric numeric keypads that you can put mm -hmm. on the side of your keyboard. And what you could do with one of those is you could uh, use sharp keys, which I just showed you, to remap the keys so that they're so that they're F keys, and then you could program them. Because if you leave them at the default of being numbers then they're gonna, and you program numpad one to do something, the numpad one on the external one and the numpad one on your key, on your regular keyboard, if you have a numpad there, are just gonna do, both gonna do the same thing. So uh, yeah, you gotta like, I, the, you mentioned the extra functions on the G, Logitech G, um, and I think they give you like five, um, you know, but I feel like you could never have enough enough yeah. buttons because if you have more you can do fewer modifiers you could just hit a button one button and have it mm -hmm. do something the thing that i most want to do with it but i just haven't been doing a lot lately is uh but i will i'm sure again is use them for linux commands because there's so much repetitive typing when you're doing Linux commands, and let's say you've got to launch a virtual environment, and then you've got to change into directory, and then you've got to do this, this, and that, and like there's so much, so much very heavy typing of the same stuff over and over again, it's very, very annoying. So, uh, you know, I think That's a great idea using it, and you could have it so that those keys only, you know, depending on what the program is you're using, of course. This is assuming that you auto hockey is a Windows program. I don't know if there's a Linux version of it or anything. I don't think so. So I think what I think the point there would be assuming you're running Linux in a terminal window uh, from a from a Windows desktop like you're or you're using uh, Windows uh, was it subsystem for Linux Linux yeah. subsystem for Windows sorry um, you know something like that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm doing that all the time. So, or I, there have been times when I have. So, yeah, like I think that's a good, um, a good use of it. So, anyway, yeah, I, I recommend folks check out Auto Hotkey. It's really worth the time that you put into it because then you know every day. I, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who I will spend like, and this is not going to be that time consuming, but I will spend like 10 hours to figure out how to save 30 seconds every day. Yep. Like I can't bear the human doing the re the repetitive work. It's like, uh, I could do this. I could have a shortcut to do this. Why don't I? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Okay. So 
I'm literally sitting here with the largest of the stream decks to my right. <laughs> I have a mid-size one up in the office. <laughs> yes, buttons are good. And I have, so, you mentioned uh, five or six uh, uh, macro keys on the Logitech. I have one of the older ones that actually has two rows. <laughs> um, they haven't made it in a while. Uh, but I definitely have one that has two rows of orange keys on the left side. <laughs> so, uh, when they discontinued them, I bought a bunch of them. Just to, just to make sure I didn't I mean, lose them. <laughs> I mean, I really wish that, uh, that you know, and I, I've been looking around. I haven't seen, like, a good mechanical keyboard come out that has the extra function row. Uh, has like, I, I would absolutely, I would get one in a, in a heartbeat that had that had the uh now you can buy for those who are really interested if you go to pckeyboard.com um this company uh sells like basically manufactures old ibm model m style uh vt122 uh terminal keyboards i don't even think they have a windows key on them uh and you know they're behemoths and you can't change the switches although those switches that it comes with are pretty good but um, but nevertheless, like so, you could get it that way. But I kind of like my um, my kale box switches now. So uh, I'd really like to see somebody make like a keyboard kit that has extra keys in it. But we but the keyboard world seems to be going in the opposite direction, where you see more and more keyboards that have uh, that don't have a number pad at all, or don't even have a function row. Uh, and I don't get it. Like, if people have so little space on their desk that they can't right. bear to have an extra few buttons, come on. Right. Or the low-profile keyboards, I don't get those either. Do you not have air rights to your desk that you're worried about, like, an extra, like, half inch of vertical space? Worry like, what's happening over here? Yeah, what's happening over here that you can't bear to have your keycap or your switch be a full two, be a full like four millimeters that you need to get it down to like one millimeter of travel and the keys be totally flat and what like no flies. I zone. mean, even with a keyboard, even with a keyboard drawer, you have room. So I don't I don't understand that one. They live too close to an airport. Uh, yeah. I'm just gonna keep coming up with them uh, for as yeah. long as we talk about it. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You know, like yeah, there's some things that are dumb. cute in life and I just don't get them. Like I used to really think that mini PCs were cute. I was like, Oh, isn't it so cute? You could fit a, the Intel NUC, you could fit a little computer and something this size. And then yeah. I started to look at how much it costs mm-hmm. to, you know, to build to, and some of the, to build these, you know, that you pay premium for a mini PC. It's like, are, do you really save that much space? That you who is who like I guess if you're running a lab and you had desks that were really close together like some kind of internet cafe maybe or but you then you to, could just put, put or you need to mount them into a television or the, like there are some very very specific purposes but outside of that that's not but that's not how they tried to market them <laughs> right right I mean I just don't see how it's like a regular cons- consumer or even a regular business would need that like if you really need to save desk space put your computer on the floor get a tower put your computer on the floor problem solved so like i i I don't know anyway uh 
I'm all about the buttons. Always have been, always will be. <laughs> Uh, just just as a note, I am doing research on uh, what is going to be uh, triggered on the copilot uh, key. I've got I got power tools open. I'm or power toys. I'm all kinds of things to try and figure out what that key is going to be. <laughs> Trying to see if I can send the command so I can then trap it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> one way or another, I'm going to have this figured out. Um, but this, this was fun, Avram. Um, it, it gives me a lot of interesting things to to consider. I always forget that you can pull back the additional uh, function keys, which for what we do is really interesting because the function keys are um, hard cuts. And theoretically, you only have a certain number of, of inputs and I already have too many just in this uh, view. Yeah, I have I have thirteen uh, inputs on here, and I hadn't considered that I could just map the additional function keys to make that work. So I always yeah. love these conversations. Uh, they're they're always a ton of fun. I never know what interesting new thing I'm going to learn and. As always, I look forward to what we talk about and what I learn next time. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live Refreshing Technology is proudly powered by EXA. EXA brings the latest technology to gamers, offering the most immersive products for the ultimate gaming experience. They've compiled the best elements of cutting-edge ENC tech, the latest in Bluetooth 5.0 and 7.1 surround, plus extra features into their headsets so everyone can enjoy a sensational gaming experience. And they've got headsets for Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, and PC. Plus, they won't break the bank. Learn more about the headsets that are available and any current promotions by going to f5live.tv slash exa. To tie back to the last topic for a second, uh, for example, I wonder if there's keyboard shortcuts for me to uh, make adjustments to our position on the screen. Anyway, uh... <laughs> Um, last week, not this past week, but the week before, um, Microsoft announced layoffs in their gaming division. Uh, this was mostly expected, um, probably inevitable. Uh, they made a big purchase. The Activision, uh, Blizzard, uh, acquisition was completed. There's always going to be redundancies. There's going to be duplicates. Um, so some was expected. Um, 1900 was, I think, more than most people expected, um, to see. And, you know, Microsoft, for their part, did say, you know, the point was to deal with dupes. Makes sense. However, as it turns out, uh, the Activision Blizzard esports division seems to have been 
wiped off the face of the earth. Um, if not everybody, most everybody. If you go check um, LinkedIn profiles and Twitter accounts or X accounts, um, you will see those people talking about no longer being with the company. Um, and if you know anything about Microsoft and their their gaming division, they don't really have their own version. Uh, so this wasn't a duplicate. Uh, this was just a full-on purge of the division. Um, been a lot of talk about why. Um, we are in what is being called by many an esports winter. Um, there are lots of problems in the industry, viewership, particularly um, on the ActaBlizz products, um, is down. Uh, player count is down. Team count is down. Um, they've they've really struggled. Uh, but it's kind of that way across the industry. Um, being in the industry, um, I can tell you, you know, finding money is hard. Finding support is hard um, right now. And a lot of it comes down to some pretty massive mishandling um, and probably misunderstanding of the industry from ActaBlizz and this particular team. Um, one of our one of our former co-hosts from many years ago, uh, Adam, has been involved in the esports industry since before the term was involved, and um, he has long complained about uh, ActaBlizz's consistent mishandling of the industry, of sponsors, of teams, of owners, of players, um, of events, uh, and that they had almost single-handedly driven what is now an esports winter. And so it's possible that this purge was because Microsoft's like, "Mm -mm, nope, if we're going to do this, we're going to start from zero. Uh, I don't know. It... It's, it's definitely interesting in a, in a purge that was supposed to be of dupes to essentially nix a division that doesn't have an equivalent. Uh, um, it's a big decision. So, so you know, it's, it's been a really bloody uh, couple of weeks in the whole tech industry. So while, you know, uh, while... You know, obviously, uh, jobs report for January showed a lot of jobs being created, uh, but in the tech sector and in the media sector, not so good. Um, Gaming, but I was really yes, but I mean, like a lot of my colleagues at other publications, uh, you know, have uh, experienced uh, layoffs. You know, like you see it happen at I think Washington Post and Wall Street Journal. And I think Business Insider and uh, um, L.A. Times, uh, L.A. Times, like, like one so, floor of the building is empty now or something like that. I think like Geo. Uh, so like there's Sports just Illustrate- been a, a ton. Sports Illustrated is almost entirely out of business. Right. Well, yeah. So it's been a disaster. And but. All I can think about with it is the story that I just uh, saw on NPR uh, called uh, that explains uh, layoffs as contagious. So 
it's unfortunately kind of a one of the problems with uh i don't know having i would say that it's a problem with being a public company but i think private companies that have uh you know private equity or whatever doing the same thing which is they have a board they have investors investors i don't know they're not you know i don't know whatever they 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 like to see people get laid off not 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 really thinking about the human cost or even the future of the business cost of layoffs and so oh hey microsoft laid people off well how many are you going to lay off oh hey your competitor over here laid people off how many are you going to lay off yeah. right uh now yeah it always works you would that think way. that you would think that there's something there's you would think that um you know people wouldn't take such wouldn't reward something that's a clear sign of like you know contraction in your business yeah um unfortunately what happens a lot is you know that things are people aren't taking a long-term or even a near midterm view of of business operations like oh well if we have products that are out there in the market or whatever and we lay people off the problem is very often I wouldn't say always, but very often with layoffs, the problems that it causes aren't apparent to the bottom line and the public for for a while, for a little while, right? So, I mean, the problem it's that causes to delayed. people within the company is immediate. But like, you know, if you, you know, like for example, if you're an entertainment company and, and you lay off a whole bunch of people whose job it was to, you know, make, I don't know, movies for netflix or whatever but they've got like six months of new movies in the can right. well like you know like or with the right with like the writer strike actor strike right like people didn't really you know i think we're going like when it was going on you didn't see as much damage from it as you're going to see right as the things follow the pipeline and so unfortunately what happens is especially you know games with job you know games or whatever oh we don't need all these people. We can mm -hmm. we can uh, we can have more profit this quarter by offloading the, the those salaries. What right. what they what unfortunately they never look at is once you take things away, it's not so easy to bring them back, right? It's not so easy to be like, oh hey, we got rid of this whole division of people, and uh oh, we now we realize that we can't actually perform that function well anymore. Uh, what are we going to do? Like, unfortunately, people are not uh, are not like, you know, machines. And you're like, oh, sorry, I didn't need this. Uh, you know, I didn't need to order this much stuff. So this quarter, I lowered the amount of beans that I ordered for my, right. you know, for, for my company. Like, no, like, once you get rid of people, it's hard to bring them back. Yeah. Uh, so especially especially when uh, a fear of another round exists, right? Because yeah, that also you you wipe out 1900 people, you close a studio, you cancel a game. all happened, right? Um, the, and the, the layoffs, by the way, weren't entirely at ActaBlizz. Um, Zenimax took some and uh, Xbox internal took some too. Again, it was a, a reshuffling thing. But once, once they're gone, 
if you then start hiring, people look at the at the job listing and go, "Well, that's a trap." <laughs> because what if a second round comes? New guy, you know, last in, first yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all bad. And then people who are there are probably thinking like, well, you know, should I be putting out the resume to get a new job? On the other hand, if everybody in the industry is laying people off, it's not quite, you know, mm-hmm. where's the grass going to be to be greener? Right. Um, if it's, you know, depending on what type of industry you're in. Now, if you're... Uh, you know, I was reading this thing about Google programmers and Google is just laying people off left and right, yeah. even though even though they're making a ton of money, right? Um, again, they're playing this for the investors. Like, look, you know, we can save money by getting rid of these people. Great. Uh, but, you <laughs> right. know, people who are developer, who are developers for Google, I mean, my I was reading some things about where like, oh, nobody's innovating here anymore because everybody knows they're going to be laid, laid off so they're not putting the extra time in. Fair but enough. it's not to their advantage. It's not to their advantage to, um, to quit because some of them have things where like, oh, yeah, you if, if they, some of them have employment contracts or something that say, hey, you know, if you quit, you lose these benefits. But if we fire you, then you get them. So, yeah. You know, so they're hanging around, but they're not motivated. I have a friend who worked for a small tech company, uh, small in terms of company, you know, employee size, but a very large tech company. Um, And he was unhappy with the direction of the company. He was unhappy with, you know, the technical oversight and things like that. But... His stocks vested at a certain point. Right. And so he stuck around. Um, Fortunately for him, the company ended up getting purchased and things got better under the new owners. And he's still there and his stock has long vested and things are good. But, you know, it's one of those things, right? There's, There's all these things. You know, if you're getting any stock options, they may not vest for... A period of time so walking away now they are completely worthless but they might mature if you uh if you get downsized all right well sit around and see what happens yeah yeah so i mean anyway it's it's not good it's terrible um it's terrible it's terrible for the like it's terrible for the industry. It's terrible for the consumers. It's terrible for everybody. Uh, they're just doing some of these things. Perhaps they didn't need anymore, but frankly, we don't know that. It's it, there's just a good chance that they're just trying to hit a certain amount of money that they're saving, uh, so yeah. that they can report something better to Wall Street, so their stock can go up, so the people who run it can get, and the big investors in the board can get can get make a little bit more more profit a little on their investment without thinking about what it's going to be like a year from now, um, you know, and how they're, they're hurting the business. In terms of the team behind the esports org though, I think, I think that was probably planned 
before they completed the merger because of what a problem this particular group of people has been. Now, I don't know if the people themselves are a problem. There's a there's a whole right, there's a whole series of issues. The industry of esports has issues of sexual harassment and all kinds of things. And then Actabliz has its own issues in that space. Plus everything that this group produced to to quote our our friend Eric Sweeney from earlier, hot garbage, right? Every event, everything that this group touched hurt the industry. So I suspect that this group that of the 1900, this was a very small you know portion of it, probably 50 or less of the 1900 that were let go were from this group. But this group was wiped out. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, they didn't have control, to control a delete. Like this, this section was wiped out. Um, and I suspect it was planned uh, by Microsoft before they finished the, the acquisition because of, you know, the issues from within this division, if they want to be in esports. The Microsoft, these people were this team. Some of the people, maybe I don't know that everybody is a problem, but this team was not the way to do it. My brother does yeah. not get mad at people he doesn't know very often, but he uh-huh. has a particular level of disdain <laughs> for this group. I sent him the article before I published it just to make sure that I had gotten everything right. And he's like, I think you might've gone too soft on them. <laughs> so. uh, well, you know what they, I mean, yes, they had created a negative perception, but they're just a small amount of the people who were laid off. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if they just wanted to target that group, they would have just targeted that. group. Right? Yeah, for sure. I think they, I think they hid this in a, larger thing so people didn't go uh because i think they were hoping that we wouldn't notice this right but we did so uh, you know i think they just wrapped it up in you know announcing we're doing 1900 layoffs uh and they weren't they were kind of hoping to get under the radar with this one but they didn't and the response that i've seen on this group Seems to be positive. Like, I haven't seen anybody from outside Active Blizz go, oh, but they were doing such a great job. Yeah. That's been, that has been nobody's reaction. Uh, So, I I guess the takeaway is, I look forward to seeing, because, you know, they have two, Microsoft now owns two brands that have a large presence in esports, Right. Uh, Overwatch and Call of Duty, and they just wiped out the division that ran those leagues. So I'm interested to see what the next generation of this looks like. If they're going to contract with professionals who know what they're doing, if they're going to try and build something themselves, because they have other games that they could bring into the esports world that they have never tried. Uh they could go the Nintendo route and partner with a company to be in charge. 
They could go the ActaBlizz route and have their own internal team. I look forward to seeing how they deal with the next generation of this because there's no way these two games disappear from esports. Uh, somebody's going to take the lead and under Microsoft, either under Microsoft's tutelage or just totally separate, like uh, what had happened with, say, Smash up until recently. So, be interesting to see what happens next. Uh, obviously, we will keep people updated. This week's news from the tubes on F5 Live Refreshing Technology is proudly powered by Malwarebytes. Whether you use a PC, a Mac, or a mobile device, Malwarebytes Premium is the company's strongest protection ever. It fights threats that traditional antivirus software can't stop, plus it actively blocks threats like worms, rogues, dialers, trojans, spyware, and a whole lot more. It allows you to use your computer and mobile devices with confidence and peace of mind. To learn more and to get a special price, you can go to f5live.tv slash Malwarebytes. Speaking of Google terminating things, um, they have recently terminated a long-standing program within the company, uh, their web cache. You may have noticed over the years when you searched for just about anything, many of the pages would come up underneath and there would be a link um, to view the cached version of the page. Um, recently that link went away um, and people wondered why the, the Google search on, uh, on Twitter was, was asked and they responded, yes, it's gone, the, the link is gone, and the cache is going away, which I find disappointing. We'll talk about why yes. in a second. In the old days, the cache made sense. The web was volatile, right? If somebody sneezed too hard, a website might just disappear for a, a few minutes mm -hmm. or a couple of hours. Um, so the Google web cache, the Wayback Machine, uh, Microsoft has a web cache, um, you know, all those things kind of were necessary, but today the web is way more dynamic than it used to be. It's also way more stable than it used to be. I can understand to a degree why Google might want to get out, but archiving the internet is an interesting thing. Ha being able to see the history of the web is fascinating. I use the Wayback Machine all the time. Yeah, me too, sometimes, but Google wasn't really doing that. True. Internally, they, they only gave you the most recent. They only gave you the most recent cache version. Right. So you still need the Wayback Machine. So I'm not 100%. I'm not so sad because I still I always use the Wayback Machine for this purpose. Yeah, me too. If the Wayback Machine goes away, then I'm going to cry. Yeah, then we're in trouble. <laughs> More than just right. cry, we're in trouble. Because I like to go back and see how bad I used to be at design. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you can do now. I, I mean, one thing that's really interesting to me is I, as I was re uh, reporting on AI and copyright, there was an interesting uh, precedent-setting case. I'm trying to think. Maybe this was like 
20 years, 15, 20 years ago, where someone who ran like a, a website sued Google for the cache for like that cache feature, saying that the cache feature was a copyright violation, copyright infringement, because they were displaying, uh, they were copying and displaying the page. And they lost. I mean, Google won and the person lost mm -hmm. because the court ruled that like, hey, this wasn't an adverse, you know, use. It was whatever. But on the other hand, uh, it's interesting in the context now where we have people suing uh, for AI use, right? Now, yeah. I don't think it's the same thing at all because yeah. the cache, it's your website that they're caching, but they are sort of taking I mean, I guess the point is nobody really visits the cache anyway uh, unless right. they really need to. So I wouldn't say that, that the cache, like people were going to cache so they could avoid seeing ads or, or whatever. But, right. you know, and, they were... And the behavior of the page is never right. Right. I mean, I think that's one of the things on, on like, Wayback Machine. But I have to say that Wayback Machine, you can get around paywalls with Wayback Machine. So, like, uh, you know, if you want to see, like, a New York Times article, you can go to Wayback Machine and, and you don't need to go through the paywall uh, for that. I mean, that's not true for everything. But for That's anything that had, uh, for anything where there's sort of a free number of articles that you can see per month, whereas there's other things where you can't see even one article per month right. without going through the paywall. So I don't, I don't think that those are getting way back machined. But on the other hand, that's kind of sad, right? Because they're not being preserved. So, um, but the way back machine, like. The way back machine is is really what should be doing that, not Google. So I'm not I'm not sad about it because it didn't really like I don't know I don't know who runs the way back machine, the Internet Archive. Are they a nonprofit? Like I don't I don't know. So I'd rather that a a, a group like that be responsible for maintaining the history of the web that Google and Google's not even maintaining the history. They were just showing the most recent copy. So. I, I saw this and I saw some consternation about it and I, I understand where that comes from, but, and I would be upset if they, if we didn't have the Wayback machine to do the same thing better. Fair enough. Um, that, that makes sense to me. Um, I think depending on how much stuff Google has kept, right. Were they dumping old versions of the cash or were they only, showing you the most recent version, right? I mean, on a server somewhere, does it exist? Probably. They probably have it on storage somewhere. I think it would be great if they gave that to the Internet Archive. Uh, sure. I mean, doesn't the Internet Archive already have it? Already have that information? Maybe. Uh, there's a lot of stuff they don't cache. There's a lot of smaller uh, pages they don't cache that um, the... Um, oh, that's not the right, right website. Um, that uh, Google was because Google crawls everything. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it, I, it would be nice if Google would say donate some money to the Internet Archive <laughs> to keep this going. That would be but, good too. Uh, but, you know, like, I don't 
I don't feel like, I mean, we shouldn't be relying on Google to keep the history of the internet. Google is a private company that is clearly shown that it's not necessarily always acting in everyone's best interest. So, so, and it was never doing that. So like, yes, you're assuming that they have this data somewhere. I, I bet they do, but they never gave it to you as a user. They only gave you the most recent version. So therefore it wasn't, it wasn't really necessary. Um, I, I don't know what motivated them specifically to get rid of it. Maybe they looked and saw that no one was using it. That not enough people were using it. Yeah. Almost certainly that's it. Because again, the, the web is more stable today. It, and it's also more dynamic. So getting a cached version of a page is not necessarily useful because that page has likely changed. You know, there's well, always stuff. It's useful if you want to not have changed. It's useful if you want to right. not have changed. So, right. so for example, somebody Google's goal. No, not Google's goal and probably not the goal of the person running the website either. Right. So like what you really want to do is catch. Uh, oh, yeah. Wait a second. You put this thing up that you shouldn't have had there and then you took it down or you changed the wording or whatever. Like that's that's what you want the cash for is to catch things out, you know, or look at the history of something or whatever. Um, So, um, and you can't, you know, the truth is you can't trust even media companies to maintain a backlog. Like this is something, uh, I mean, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but you know, wasn't there a story I think about a year ago about CNET going uh, and deleting a whole bunch of old articles uh, because old because somebody on their at their company said oh it's not good for seo for us to have all these old articles nobody needs them anyway so it's we have too many urls yeah it was honest people who are i have to tell you as someone who works in the like publishing biz this is a constant like push pull between journalists and um you know, business people, like the business people at any company, I'm not saying this happens per se at my company because we haven't gone through taking a bunch of stuff down, but they, they always, they don't understand the concept of something being archival for archival purposes. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, but we're serving the page today. Why, you know, like why should, you know, the information on it's outdated. Why should we still have that? Right. Like, right. That's what a lot of a lot of business people think. Like, why are you know, why are we still why are we still serving this thing if it's old? Because you looked up a story from 20 years ago doing research that we just talked about. That's why. Right. Because. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, right, it's there's there's a lot of value, right? Because you, you know, maybe you want to know what people said at the time about, um, you know, about like, oh, maybe I want to know what people said about the original iPhone when it first came out. Uh, sure. Right. Maybe I want to know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm shopping for something on eBay and I see it's a used product and I still want it. Like, 
You know, there's, there's so much, you see something that looks interesting and maybe you want to go back and find reviews of that product. I do it all the time. I mean, now we used to have a concept. I don't know if they still do this of microfiche in the library, right? Right. You go to the live. Now this was a pain in the butt, but you could go to the library and you could go and look through the films and you could find an old uh, magazine or an old newspaper issue or whatever. And like there, there it was. But unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of modern, a lot of websites, the people who run them, think of them more like a TV show, a TV broadcast than a magazine. And so they're like, Hey, what, this isn't, you know, print this once and it's, you know, it's the record. Like if we're still showing this, it shouldn't be there. Right. Like, so I think, I mean, this is where think of it as if it's a social media feed. Once it scrolls past, it's gone forever. Right. So, so the thing is, it's unfortunate um, that we don't, uh, you can't count, like even Wikipedia, right? How many times have you been on Wikipedia and you saw like a source that they used for something, but the source might not be there anymore, right? The source link might be gone, right? And it'll say like, they'll say like retrieved on this day, right? So like in a sense, the cache the cache is important because mm-hmm. it maintains the history, but Google's not the one maintaining that. The Internet Archive is. Right. Exactly. And it would be great if whatever data Google has, they don't just hit delete on, they donate over to the Internet Archive. But yeah, Google's the wrong company, the wrong place for that. Um, I, I agree. It is always sad when something as old as that on the web disappears. Um, but yeah, there are people who do it better that that's what they do. And it's, it's better to have it in, in their hands for sure. When I start my, when I start my search engine, it will have cash. It'll have a cash from the internet archive built in. You have been talking about building your own search engine for so long. (laughs) The list of features it's getting longer. Just keeps growing. <laughs> <laughs> it'll pretty soon. It'll be Google. Oh no! Okay. I don't think you're evil. I don't think it'll be Google. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to figure out how to put all your ideas together into one fascinating pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Anyway, I'm sorry. We can cut now. This week's DRM not included in F5 Live Refreshing Technology is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. We all know that you get free shipping on millions of products with Amazon Prime, but you get a whole lot more. Like free music with Amazon Prime Music, free TV, movies, and documentaries with Amazon Prime Video, free games and a free Twitch subscription to support the content creator of your choice with Amazon Prime Gaming, plus a whole lot more. We've got links to all of these features and some of our favorites, plus a 30-day free trial, all by going to f5live.tv slash prime. 
So when it comes to content creation, uh, copyright infringement is a big concern, or should be. Um, there are a number of ways of, of dealing with it. You know, we talk about it a lot in terms of, of AI and where copyright infringement comes in there. Um, but there's another place that's really common, and that is including external media in your audio or video. For example, you're watching or listening to this. There was just music a few seconds ago. Um, that music, we own the rights to, and so there's no concerns with our using it in our production. But there are other ways of dealing with music. You can not have any. You can have uh, music that you have written or commissioned. You can have licensed music, which is the route that we go. That can be a little expensive. Um, but depending on what you're doing, it's worth it. Um, and then you can use regular music. Two ways of dealing with that. One, you can deal with the licensing that the platform that you are publishing through provides. That gives up full control um, to somebody else. Uh, or you can just ignore the law and do whatever you want and uh, wait to get smacked around. Um, for example, <laughs> for example, I have so far issued um, 11 DMCA takedown notices just from our CES coverage. So <laughs> for the music or for something else for the, the video from, from the show uh, that has been illegally downloaded so, and republished. So, Oh man, we found do. someone doing something horrible. Huh? We found someone doing something absolutely evil and horrible a new oh, yeah? exciting form of AI plagiarism where it scrapes articles from our site, like in real time, but then changes the words a little bit using an AI. Okay. And it takes almost every article that we've written. Like that's how bad Fascinating. it is. But anyway, and we're trying to get them to stop, but you can imagine it's not easy to reach. If it's a website, it's not easy to reach them. Yeah. See, and that's the, Wild West, do whatever you want kind of a thing. And that is never the thing that I recommend. But I also don't recommend letting someone else be in charge of your licensing. And here's why. This week, the relationship between the Universal Music Group, UMG, and TikTok came to an end. And so what happened is... If you had used any UMG music in one of your TikTok videos, the video showed up as muted. Not the part that had the music in it. So if you just used a short clip from their licensing agreement somewhere in your video, it's a you know 90 second video and you used five seconds of a Taylor Swift song, all 90 seconds are gone. No audio. Bye-bye. Um, which is a little different than how, like, Meta deals with with audio violations. They will just mute the section that's in violation. That's not how TikTok did it. They just, whoop, whole video, no sound. And for 
for a platform that thrives on dance and lip sync videos, muted videos not great, right? Um, and so that is building your brand on somebody else's land. Um, I have long talked in in the the creator space about why it's a bad idea, whether it be, you know, platforms or whatever. There's a reason. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, there's a reason why at the top of the episode, if you're not watching live, we tell you to go to plugkitslive.com slash subscribe. Why? Because we own that. We can move it somewhere else to another host, whatever, and your experience won't be affected. But if... I mean, I don't suspect that YouTube is going to disappear or, you know, terminate us because we don't talk about things that they won't like. Um, but if they did, if we built our, our brand over there, we're entirely at their mercy. We've seen podcast host, website hosts disappear overnight. Um, building your brand on somebody else's land is always a recipe for disaster. And that is exactly what happened here. People relied on a relationship that they didn't have any control over. And uh, millions of videos went silent overnight. So what I don't understand is how did they have this license in the first place? So it was, um, it was an agreement between TikTok and UMG that um, music could be used in... And I don't think it's the entire UMG catalog, um, but I can tell you it was, you know, Taylor Swift and the Beatles, so it wasn't a small... Like, it wasn't the no-names on the UMG list, right? Um, people on TikTok... TikTok? TikTok? That's a mint. TikTok... Um, could use the music through the platform um, with licensing. YouTube has a similar thing. Uh, there is licensed music through YouTube that you can use. Um, and the so long as you use it on YouTube, the licensing is, I think, perpetual. I think, at least on YouTube, it's guaranteed to be a perpetual license. Um like if if things change with uh you know MacLeod Mac or whatever his uh, his name is um Kevin MacLeod uh like if a relationship with him were to change mu stuff that's already out there won't be affected but n new stuff will be um that's not what happened here so they had a they had an agreement people could use it there was some royalty structure Outside of my knowledge, these things exist across all the platforms, but um, UMG didn't want to work with TikTok anymore. Uh, well, so. um, that's, I mean, that's also the problem with, uh, with licensing, right? Because a lot of times with licensing, these things are also surprisingly in the, I don't know, earlier centuries or whatever, because... You know, we were talking before about caching and how, like, you know, mm -hmm. the Internet's supposed to be forever. 
but there's a lot of people who think of it as oh if i if i see your article from 2000 from 20 years ago you're showing it to me now and you know i expect certain things and you know i know that there's i don't know if they've i hope that they have changed this but there used to be some of these photo companies used to have things where oh yeah you could use this photo for six months what do you mean you know i'm gonna go and delete an article from six months ago yep a year ago like I you know had, uh, um i had a thing we did a an interview a number of years ago with um jason something jason paul something uh he was doing the zelda symphony the legend of zelda symphony um no it wasn't that one it was rewind or reverb or something um it was another one of his music symphonies uh we were told you can record you can record the performance however you only have the license to it for two weeks well then what the what good is that right what good what good is that exactly I mean, it's all too complicated. In these respect, by the way, I think YouTube now has an AI uh, music uh, music generator on it, yeah. so you can get AI music. I was I was on a um, focus group for that before it was announced, and um, I quoted you in the focus group. I felt, oh, okay. I felt so bad. For the the poor guy that was was running the the focus group because he was not prepared for me. <laughs> right, I mean, you know, the thing is, I almost but don't feel sorry for the. Uh, I almost but don't see the use case of that. Like, no, I see the use case. Of it. I almost, you know, like it. Music is quite expensive, and and like if you need like background music for things it can be it can be pricey and i can see why people would want you know would want a solution that's cheap that's cheap or free and doesn't have somebody coming coming after them in the in the future so yeah for sure my recommendation motionarray.com we've been using them for years uh, um I have my license document. No problem. Now, for some reason, every episode, I have to re-upload the license document to YouTube for your new music, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's messed up. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, did I send you this? There's, there's a, there's an AI music service that will, that will actually will produce songs for you that have like, that you will either, they'll either create the lyrics or you can feed them the lyrics and it will, it has like an AI singer in it uh-huh. and it's actually pretty good, qual- pretty good quality. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it really, it did make me think that like, you know, I came up, did I tell you I came up with a Tom's hardware theme song? So I, mean, I, I mean, you sent me a lot of music at one point. Uh, there was... Yeah, yeah. So okay, yes. So maybe that was right. 
So I actually finally finished the theme song and I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, and I pretty much wrote all the lyrics, but like I had taken one thing that they gave me and I kind of wrote a whole bunch of lyrics around it. And then I realized like, if I were to actually hire a professional musician to like write a song, to perform a song like this, oh man, it would be thousands, right? But yeah, and no one at my job is going to pay even $50 for that. But, you know, because they don't see the, you know, the value of yeah. it. But, but, you know, it is the kind of thing that I would, I would totally, I'm trying to see if I can find here. Oh, Suno. That's what it is. Suno. Suno yeah. AI. I'm Suno like AI. Benchmark Inferno. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I have the one that we have, the working one I have now is uh, called Overclocked Knowledge. Okay. Uh, and the problem is I can't get, I have to either get the expanded one where I can do more than like 40 second clips at a time, or uh -huh. I have to have enough credits that I can stitch together like right. eight or 10 40 second clips. Uh, but I'm telling you, Anyway, point being, uh, music is expensive. Music is difficult, and uh, and licenses expire, so it is really difficult. It is really difficult yeah. to deal with. Yeah, it is. But the trade-off is, if you let somebody else be in charge of it, there's always the possibility that it just disappears. Yep. Well, that is our show. Thank you to those of you who joined us live. We always enjoy our live viewers. If you didn't and would like to in the future, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can go to f5live.tv slash join us. See, there we go. I didn't say go to YouTube. Uh, um, there you can chat with us in the studio. Give us your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. As I say it out loud, I realize if you are there right now, it's still CES branded. I'll have to fix that tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, if you can't join us live, that's okay as well. Uh, PlugHitsLive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, F5 Live, Pilch Point, Plug Hits Live Presents, and a whole lot more. Of course, you'll find all the ways to watch, listen, and follow along. There is a lot going on. I have a whole bunch of products to, uh, to do some unboxings on. As soon as I have a second that's not dedicated to uh, to editing other videos um, and some interesting product reviews, we've got some cool headphones out there. Um, I have a, a water heater cleaner or something. All kind all kinds of interesting <laughs> stuff to do unboxings and reviews on. I, you never know what weird thing is going to show up. I've got headphones, I've got a gaming computer, and I've got some sort of IoT water heater cleaner. So, you know, no telling. Uh, so expect that at some point. Um, as you might have noticed, there have been a couple of new changes here in the studio. There are some more coming. Um, pretty excited about, so watch out for that as well. And with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Avram. And we will see you back next time. Ciao.